Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, the podcast for special needs. Each week, we'll be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools, and to empower parents. In this episode, my guest is Alison Knowles. Alison is an emotional therapist. As I've said before, this does not mean that she cries during therapy. She supports emotional resilience. In this episode, we're talking about the reality you created and how this impacts you. But before we get started, as always, have you heard of the Virtual Send Conference? This is a conference we started running in 2019 that makes CPD around SEND more affordable and easier to access. It runs twice a year over the internet, but you can watch videos whenever you need to as they are always available. It is training on demand. For more information, visit our new website, www.trainingforeducation.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. In this week's show, we are discussing anxiety. Anxiety affects most of us, but what is anxiety? Joining me today is Alison Knowles. Alison is the creator of The Ollie Model and the author of all the Ollie and his superpowers books. She is a trainer of Ollie coaches and an emotional therapist. Welcome to the show, Alison. Hello, how are you? I'm good. We've discussed anxiety before on the podcast with Lorraine Peterson, but it is a big area. It has an impact on most people's lives in a variety of ways. So what is anxiety? Hmm. I think it depends who you talk to, really. Now, I could give you a very long, deep, very educational answer to that, which I'm sure you've, you've had from previous speakers, but that's not Ollie's way. By that, I mean Ollie's way is to simplify things because if you understand something, you can take control of it. If you can take control of it, then it's not a problem for you. It doesn't frighten you. It doesn't cause anxiety. So. That's what I'd like to do, just really, really simplify it for you. To do that, let's start with the, the word fight, flight or freeze, which I think most people have heard of. Yeah. And most people have a, an idea about what it means. I have an awful lot of people that come to me with really, really terrified that, you know, they're, they're having trouble breathing. They're, you know, they think they're having a panic attack. They think they're having a heart attack. And it's because they don't understand, firstly, how anxiety affects you. And we're all about giving back control by explaining it and giving you the tools. And interestingly, this really came to pass because at the start of lockdown, I had to go into hospital for some chest x-rays, see what was going on with me. And I remember lying there listening to what was going on in the cubicles either side. And just about everybody there was there when the doctor asked, "What you know, why, why have you come in? And it was because they were short of breath and having breathing issues and chest pains, COVID wasn't it was anxiety and and you know because they were so terrified about covid as soon as they started to feel those things they thought they had covid and it was actually symptoms of anxiety see here's what happens when you're in a situation that is potentially dangerous to you and remember from previous talks you only know it's dangerous because you've experienced it before if you haven't experienced it then you're not necessarily anxious you might be a bit nervous excited but you're not scared because you don't know if you've not experienced anything in any way connected to something new. So when we're in fight or flight response, we have to be able to fight our way out of or run away from a situation. 
or stand very still and pray. I'm not keen on that one personally, but there you go. In order to do that, we need to become superhuman. So there's a lot of chemical reactions going on. And again, you know, you could get really deep on this, so we could just say it as it is. Basically, certain chemicals kick off in your body. Adrenaline's one of them. And what happens is your body needs to be able to be in the best position it can be, condition it can be, to run or fight. So you need oxygenated blood in your arms and legs. Well, unless you carry any spare, and if you do, to be honest, that's a bit weird, then your body needs to use what it's got. So that's why most people, when they're getting a bit anxious, get that feeling in their tummy, that horrible wobbly, I'm going to be your feeling. That's the blood leaving your stomach and going into your arms and legs because your stomach is not really going to be very helpful in the fight. So that's what that's about. So first of all, that's that feeling, okay? Didn't know that bit. Not IBS, not. It's it's the blood leaving your stomach going into your arms and legs. It's spare blood. The next thing a lot of people notice is they feel a bit sweaty. They're heating up. Well, have you ever tried running or fighting if you haven't warmed your muscles up? doesn't end well. It's your body warming up. Your heartbeat's going faster. Well, that's because your heart needs to pump this new oxygenated blood around your body. So it will. It's got to get it to the muscles quickly so you can run or fight. You're breathless. You're taking on more oxygen so that you do have oxygenated blood to pump around the body. You might feel a bit stiff, a bit achy. You're getting ready. You're poised to fight or flight. So all of those are symptoms that people say, oh, I'm having a heart attack, I'm this, that, and the other. No, you're not. It's the fight or flight response. Basically, what you're saying is anxiety is you're not running. Yeah. In, in, in a nutshell, you're getting, you're getting ready to be in a best physical position to defend yourself from a physical attack. And physical is really important. I'll come back to that in a second. So the idea is that axe murderer walks in the room. We both go into fight or flight response. Bodies pump up. We can either fight him or run. Once we're away from that danger, all those chemicals can release from our body and we go back to normal. We'll feel exhausted because that's a huge adrenaline rush. That's why people are exhausted after an anxious attack. But you'll go back to normal quite quickly, which is wonderful. The problem that we've got now is you can only go back to normal and release those chemicals and settle down if you've moved away from the danger. So if it's a physical danger, you can move away from it. Most of the danger that's threatening all of us right now isn't physical, it's emotional. How do you run away from an emotion? How do you move away from worrying about, can you pay the mortgage? Are the kids safe? COVID. Have I got a job after furlough? How is my husband you know, seeing anyone else? You can't get away from that. And it's still a fear. It's still an emotional fear, but it's not physical. So you can't move away. So then what happens is the body reacts the same way because it's going, oh, this is scaring me. Or it can't tell if it's physical or emotional. So all of those things happen, the stomach, the sweating, all of that kicks in. But this time it can't release because you can't move away from it. So then what happens is you have this high intensity of all those chemicals that are making you superhuman stay inside you because they can't release. And, and, you know, they're quite powerful chemicals. So then you get people going, I'm just so tired. I've been getting quite poorly recently. I'm achy all the time. That's because you're on permanent fight or flight alert and you can't release or step down from DEFCON 3, you know. You can't let that go. And after a while, that's going to exhaust you. It can lead to depression and on and on and on and on. So that's what's going on. And that's why anxiety at the moment is it's probably greater than ever. And not just because of COVID, just life generally. We're emotionally terrified most of the time now. Physical, not too much to worry about. Emotional, there is. 
But there's one other thing that happens in the fight or flight response that not many people realise, and we did touch on it, I think, in the first podcast. Once you're at that point where you're physically able to fight or run, the last thing that needs to happen is for you to go, hang on a minute, I know that's an axe murderer, but I'm a therapist. I might just have a chat with him and see if I can make him change his ways. Because while I'm having that conversation, or even thinking about having that conversation, he's, he's whacked me with the axe. So the very last thing that happens in the fight or flight response is the blood's taken away from the part of your brain that allows you to reason. Don't need to get any more technical than that. That is what's happening. Heightened emotion makes you stupid. That is why. The body removes the blood from the part of the brain that allows you to think clearly, arguably at the very time when you want to. So then you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. Ah, I can't think. If you can't think, you're just going to do as you're told, run and fight. That's why that happens. And and any heightened emotion, how many of us have got a friend that's so loved up because he's Mr. Perfect and we all know he's a nightmare, but she won't hear you, heightened emotion. It's the same thing. There's no point trying to reason with someone that's gone into fight or flight. If they're really angry, really stressed, or even heightly loved up and honeymoon period, forget it. They aren't going to hear you because they can't. They can't think or reason because they're in a completely different time zone to you because of fight or flight response. But here's something else. You know, everyone's like, my anxiety. Oh, I've had it for years and years and years. And they do, bless them. And what can you do about it? Well, you can do some breathing exercises, a bit of yoga, there's loads of stuff you can do, right? And ultimately, the GP will put you on some nice tablets to calm you down a bit and keep you in a nice zombie state, personal opinion. Because you can't do anything about long-term anxiety. It will take years and years and years to get rid of because you've suffered with it for years and years and years and years. All right, try this on for size. You see, in a previous podcast, I talked about us having a librarian that files all of our learning. Yeah. <laughs> French. Hmm. There's another little man in your head you need to know about. Now, some people call him stress. Some people call him anxiety or panic attacks. I call him James Bond. From your very first breath, little James, and, you know, knock yourself out, reality tunnels, he's your bodyguard, he can be whatever you want. I just quite like James Bond, Sean Connery specifically. So I've got Sean Connery in my head, a very tiny Sean, he's got a fit in my head. And from my first breath, he's been circling me, keeping an eye, because he knows everything that's in my library of all my learning. He knows everything I love and have enjoyed and everything that's hurt me or frightened me. And if I'm anywhere near anything that's frightened me, his job as my bodyguard is to get me out of that situation. But he's only a little guy, fits in my head, so he can't exactly leap out and go, oh, Ali, axe murderer. <laughs> he can't do that. It wouldn't work, right? So what he has to do is he has to alert me to it. It's a lovely way of explaining fight or flight response to kids. We do it all the time with them. But they, they don't have James Bond. They don't know who he is. So they'll have Superman or you know Iron Man. Or... But So if James knows... Well, I'll tell you an example we used with a kid the other day. He's really, really frightened of, I think it was wasps. And James, his, his little superhero, who happened to be Iron Man, knew that. So whenever they're outside and he hears a buzzing, he freaks. And he can't control himself and he won't go outside. So I said, well, that's because your little Iron Man knows that you're frightened of wasps. And maybe he saw one even before you heard it and he needed to let you know. So let me see if that's true. Did your tummy go all funny? Yeah. Well, that's Iron Man, because he's only little. He can't jump out and defend you. So he had to let you know. So he made your tummy feel funny. So you go, oh, what's up, Iron Man? But if you ignored Iron Man, stay with me, <laughs> he ups the ante and he, he might have made you a bit sweaty. Did he make you a bit sweaty? Yeah, I got a bit sweaty. Well, that's Iron Man. He's trying to tell you about that. 
And, and then you can take the kid all the way through the, the, the things that you physically go through with fight or flight response. But it's just Iron Man, or in my case, James Bond, up in the ante to make you take notice. And if you really don't listen when he's done the heartbeat and everything else, he'll take the blood away from the brain so that you can't think and you'll just do as you're told and get out of there. Here's the problem with James. So anxiety, it's called a reframe, but honestly, anxiety is just trying to blimmin' protect you. Yeah. You wouldn't have it if there wasn't anything in your library that you were worried about. So it's just James. A couple of things you need to know about James. One, he's no idea how old you are, right? He has no idea. He's never met you, right? He thinks you're two years old and he's got to protect you with his life, you know, license to thrill and all that. He does not realise I'm 54 and actually broccoli's not going to hurt me. So if I'm anywhere near broccoli, he'll start the fight or flight response in me. Getting nervous, going into the veggie session section in Tesco's. I'll start to go into full (laughs) fight or flight. It's not good. And until I move away from the veggie section, I'm going to go into full fight or flight. And it's just not a pretty sight. That's because James doesn't realize that I'm not two and that I can choose whether or not I have broccoli, who cooks it and whether or not, you know. So that's what's going on. Firstly, he doesn't know how old he is. So I would strongly recommend to anybody that has suffered with anxiety, and I know it sounds like I'm making light of this, I am for a good reason, because you can control this. Everything in that library that James is reacting to was put in there probably before you were 10 or 12 years old. Do you still need to be afraid of it? Does it still need to bother you? Probably not. No. But James doesn't know that. He still thinks you too. So when you feel that first thing, James going, oh, hang on, this ain't right, and your stomach starts to go, or whatever is the first thing for you, don't do this in public, you get arrested, but trust me, it works. I literally encourage people to go, pat the stomach and just go, sorry, James, I've got this, grown up now. And the strangest thing happens, you interrupt that pattern of going into anxiety and you break the pattern. That was what gave me your next, my, my question was, can you talk to James? Absolutely, absolutely, because he doesn't know he's doing the best he can. But the other thing about James, I have to tell you, is a bit of a jobsworth. But you'd, you'd need him to be. You'd want your bodyguard to be a jobsworth, wouldn't you, in all yeah. honesty? Mine, just to give you an example, told you a problem of reading and writing. So school was hell. And there was one teacher in particular called Mrs. Dobson. Right? <laughs> and her way of dealing with my dyslexia was to make me stand at the front of the classroom and spell a word 100 times on the chalkboard. So, of course, I spelt it wrong 100 times which amused the kids, and I do believe, or my reality of that situation is it amused her. She wouldn't have put me through it. But that was years ago. I'm over it. (laughs) (laughs) Or not. Twitch, twitch. I was in a meeting a couple of weeks ago, and socially distanced meeting, obviously, but we were in a boardroom. And the meeting was going lovely. Everybody was lovely. But I felt really anxious. My stomach started to go. I started to get a bit sweaty, and I thought, there's nothing wrong here. This is okay. James, what are you doing, mate? Because I do. I do talk to James. It's like... James, you found something else from your 10-year-old self, mate. That's fine here. There's nothing here. Leave it out. But he didn't calm down. And it was only when we were getting up to go, I realised what it was. All the chairs had a blue cushion on, but it was a very certain colour blue. And in an instance, I saw where I'd seen that blue cushion before, and it was on Mrs. Dobson's blooming chair. That was enough. James is permanently alert. And when we walked in that room, he went click, 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 scan, scan, scan. Is it safe? He saw that cushion. Now, in the past, that cushion related to a scenario that wasn't safe for me because he doesn't just remember Mrs. Dobson. He remembers everything about that situation. It's like a video take of the event. And that cushion was in there, and that's what it was. And as soon as I realised that, I was like, James, this is not a problem anymore. I calm right down. 
but you had to you had, you had to recognize what it was he didn't tell you what he, he couldn't tell you what he was reacting to he was no. trying to text you yeah he couldn't tell you me what it was you had to work out what it was yeah no he doesn't really talk he just makes you do physical things but most of the time you can spot it so another big phobia i have is snakes Really bad. I mean, I'm not just scared. I pass out. And I spend a lot of time in Australia, so that's not cool, is it? <laughs> but I can be chatting with someone, and if I'm distracted and I'm chatting and I'm walking along in long grass, it won't cross my mind. This is a really silly, bloody thing to do. But it will cross James's because long grass means snakes because that's in my library. But remember what I said. James can only react if it's something you've learned. If you've never experienced it before, he doesn't react because he doesn't know. Consequently, our conversation about the Marines, not afraid, you know, the unknown rubbish. You're not afraid of the unknown because it's unknown. You're only afraid when it's known. So James would make me react when I'm walking through long grass, even when I'm distracted and don't realise because it's like, hang on a minute, long grass, permanent bodyguard. Yeah. So everybody that struggles with anxiety, that's what's going on. It's James and he can get overzealous. So you can be, you can start off as being a bit anxious about going outside on your own and then you could get to the point, because James will build on it and build on it, of, well, going outside on your own is not safe, but, you know, maybe I could just make it to the end of the garden. I've been able to do that. That's okay. But just past the gate, no, that's not safe. Why not? There's no reason why another step should not be safe. And the only reason it wouldn't be step, and I do have people that they can walk to the garden gate but not beyond it, that's too much. Why? One more step, what is it? It's something that James has in his memory boxes about being outside of whatever that means to you. So the security of your home, boundary, whatever it was. Because he just adds things in very spuriously. But it is James, and seriously, if you're struggling with anxiety, I'm not making light of it, but I am telling you, you don't need to. So those memories, as you said, a lot of them go in there before you're 10 or 12. That's when the bulk of our stuff, most of our learning is done. Yes, we learn as we grow, new skills, etc. But how the world works, our reality, who we are, probably by about then. It's very cliche, but it's all about your childhood. It really is. So can you change that memory? Or is or is that, yeah. or is that kind of, like the, let's say, Completely. the snakes thing. Yeah. Let's say that is always going to be in that thing. But yeah. actually, you've got a load of other evidence in your other parts of your library, which says, yeah. you know what, it's not happened so far. Yeah, so far. Thanks for that. Yeah, you can completely. And I think I gave you a scenario in a previous podcast, but what we use is everything Ollie is we simplify. If we simplify it, then everybody can understand it. If you understand it, you can take control. We don't need to use long words and, you know, synoptics, this and neuro, but we don't need it. We just explain it as it is. Everything in that box in your library you put in there, okay? And it was filed against the emotion that you attached to it at that time. So if you're only two and there's a shadow at the other side of the bedroom, you don't have the, you've got the intelligence, but you don't have the wisdom to know that actually that's that standard lamp and the light from the hall just reflecting against, that's what that is, because we haven't got that capability yet. For us, it could be a monster. Yeah. And in that moment, that's really scary. And a shadow then will go into our library as something really, really scary until we learn that it's not, because dad comes in and goes, look, I can change the shadow just by opening it's the light, did it? And, and, make it okay but if nobody has made that shadow okay for whatever reason he hasn't discussed it with anyone it will stay in there and shadows will always make him do that so yeah. you, you can change them because when you put that learning in and i think we discussed the one about the little girl who was terrified of dogs yeah she put in her library in a box all dogs are bad they're gonna kill me they're gonna eat me 
So James, you can imagine, he was having a right laugh with her, wasn't he? Every time she went out anywhere, her version of James, which happened to be Wonder Woman, fine, was going, oh, we can't be out, dogs, grass, there was grass, we read that dog before, oh, tree, there was definitely a tree there, trees are bad too. And it adds all these things in and made her life hell, she wouldn't go outside. But what we were able to do was explain the concept of Wonder Woman and the librarian and how he stores stuff. And because there was, and it only needs to be a little bit of an age gap with kids, with us, obviously, it's a long time since I was 12. But, you know, it was only a couple of years, but that was enough for me to get her to notice that seven-year-old her was taller, stronger. She could ride a bike now. She went to school now. She had her own phone. All these things that she didn't have when she was five, which was when this event happened. And what I'm doing is priming her to notice that she's a lot more capable, a lot more grown up, without her realising I'm doing it. And then when we got to that box, because kids are really good at finding those boxes because it wasn't that far ago. You and I are like, oh, I don't know, it was about 50 years ago. I know something happened. I can't remember when. But there's a really easy way to do that too. And she didn't want to look in it. So I looked in it and I said, you're right, there's you with a dog. What else can you tell me about that memory? Because obviously I know you don't want to look in the box. And, and again, I repeat myself, but she said that this dog was really big. So I said, really big? How really big? And she went, well, it at least came up to my waist. Right, okay. And, and how tall were you when you were five? And basically what I did by pointing out that when she was five, she's half the height she is now. So if that dog only came up to her waist, it was half that height again, which meant that the dog that mauled her to bits didn't come up to the top of her shins. And at that point, you could see her calculating that couldn't happen again because I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm this, that and the other. And then she got brave enough to look in the box and really bring back that memory of what was really going on. So we got rid of the fear that makes you not be able to think and just look at the scenario. And she described it beautifully. Yes, I was in the park. I was wearing my favourite blue dress. Da, 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 da. Oh, it was a puppy. It came up and knocked me over. Sorted. Got rid of the fear. Because anything that happens to us, stuff that happened to you when you were five, you know, now you could probably cope with in a completely different way. Apart from broccoli. Apart from broccoli. And, and you know, one of the big things people sort of say, well, yeah, you know, but that's no good. What, what, what if someone's been really badly abused or it's a real trauma? Or, you know, that's not going to work looking in the box, surely. It happened. Absolutely. But here's the thing, right? And again, this is something that I have a real problem with how therapy's done these days because a lot of therapy will spend a lot of time going over an event, talking about that event that happened a long time ago. Well, a couple of problems with that. One, if it happened a long time ago, then your recollection of it won't be true. Yeah. Because you're adding to it. The number of times I've had, you know, adult women in their 30s come and see me because they were abused when they were kids, and I ask them what their key emotion is, and they're saying, Shame, guilt. Like, you, you feel shame and guilt? Well, yes, I should have done this. I should have done that. You were five. Yes, but I should have done this and that. No, that's your adult you remembering the situation. The younger you couldn't have done. Yeah. And that's what happened. That's why we get we attach those. So memories, the event happened, but how you recall them is different because every day you'll begin looking at it from a different perspective depending on the learning that you've had ever since that memory. And also, if you go back and bring that memory up, what you're doing is bringing it back to the front of your mind. Why would you do that? It was painful enough to go through it once. Why would you go through it again? Especially when the reality is that, to the best of my knowledge, despite our last podcast where we're talking about is there realities, and <laughs> I don't think you can time travel. So consequently, what is the point of really focusing in on all the details of being raped when you were three or abused when you were three? What is the point? 
because we can't change it. No. But what we can do is change the bit that's hurting you now, which is the emotion you attach to it. When you are three, it's not a case of, well, next time you know to do this because you're not three anymore. So Yes, but if it was a 50-year-old you looking back at that, you'd say, well, you know, I should have done this, this, and this is exactly what you're doing. But at three, three, you can't. There's nothing you can do. It, it, it happened. You can't change it. No, but what Generally, you can do... Generally, there's nothing you could have done. No, but you can change. That is now, you've carried it all through your life. And honestly, it's the saddest thing. I have. So I have people that can't hold relationships down, have no self-worth, they're, you know, self-harming all sorts because of such a horrible, traumatic, disgusting thing that happened to them. But, and, and I'm not dishonouring what happened. My job's to help them through it. And the way you help them through it is by not reliving it because that doesn't blooming help but by working on the Ollie concept of anything you're bringing up from that memory is not true because you're adding to it with your learning and perception of now and the adult you are. You're looking at it through old eyes. Adding in all the context you know and things like that. And the other thing is it happened then. It's not happening now. It can't happen now because let's be honest, if anyone tried that now, they'd come off badly, yeah? So it can't happen again. So why is it still hurting you? Physically, and unless there was real trauma, potentially it's not hurting you. What's hurting you is emotionally, yeah. the emotion you attached. So I can't change the event, but I can help you release the emotion you've attached to it, which is hurting you now. Yeah. So if the emotion you're holding is guilt, shame, whatever, by helping you release that emotion and let go of that emotion, we're not dismissing or dishonoring what happened far from it. But what we're doing is setting you free from it. It was bad enough you were hurt once. Why let it hurt you every day since? And I think sometimes uses that, that guilt and shame that might not that's probably not what you felt when you were three. Of course it wasn't. That's come later. That's as you've thought about it or That's why memories aren't true. You've added lots of things. It's it's a very different and Yeah. You as an adult, you knew you now know what was going on. Yeah. At three year old, you don't no know idea. what was going on. You don't there's so much you don't know in that situation. Well, we're saying three, but even twelve, fourteen year old, I mean, I'd hate to be talking about abuse, but just get the point across about the emotion matters. Not not the behaviour because, you know, 12, 13-year-olds, whenever it happens, it's a horrible bloody thing. A woman being raped in her 20s, it's a horrible damn thing. Can't change the event and you can let it torture you for the rest of your life or we can work to let go of the emotion you've attached because that's the bit that's now hurting you. Yeah. And by doing that, if we're taking it back to what is anxiety, you know, a friend of mine was raped. She was walking across the park late at night. She'd done it a million times, nothing. She was raped, won't walk across the park now. As soon as it starts to get dark, she gets really anxious. If she's anywhere near a park, she gets really anxious because her James Bond took the whole scenario in of what happened there. A certain voice, tone of voice makes her really anxious, the guy that raped her. James took all that information in. Any one of those will trigger James to go, oh, my God, she's in danger and get her out there, like my balloon cushion scenario. Now, she'll live with that for the rest of her life and not, and, and he'll add more and more stuff in. So it'll get to the point where at the moment it's a park she can't walk across. Soon it'll be a small playground. Maybe it'll just be her own garden because James will keep adding to it to keep her safe. It's a job's worth. So we needed to interrupt that pattern. We can't change the event. We can change the emotion you've attached. And then it is a case of, James, okay, that happened. I was a few years younger. I'm not much bigger and stronger now, so that's not really going to help me should it happen again. But it's not going to happen again in that specific way because I'm not going to be walking across the park in the dark on my own ever again. I'm not going to be doing this, 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 and this. It doesn't mean I might not ever be raped again. Please, God, she's not. But it won't happen in that way. Now, James only remembers the way it happened. So if you can release that, James will let the anxiety go. Okay. 
that makes sense. Yeah. I'm supposed to simplify it, and sometimes I wonder if I have. But yes, it should should have done. So he's, he's kind of looking at, um, I'm going to use like a detective who sits there and looks at the setting and looks all of that. That's kind of what James is doing, putting it all together. And what you've got to do is go, look, no, it only happened when this and this yeah. and this and one of them on its own isn't enough. It's got to be all of them. And generally, that would only happen if I walk through a park at night. That that can only repeat. You're making me anxious because of something that specifically happened. That can only repeat in its entirety if I repeat in its entirety every aspect of it. Do you remember what I said when we were talking about how I explain how the brain works? The library is an iPhone yes. with your senses and then the subconscious is your library. And that when you walk into a room, in seconds, all of my senses are evaluating this room. So I'm doing a video camera of the room when I walked in, sniffing the air for gas, I'm testing the floor strong enough for temperature and all that in seconds. Yeah. And I've taken in everything. In seconds, if you relaxed me down and did some some light trance work, hypnotherapy, that kind of thing, I could probably tell you how many plug sockets are in this room. Right now I couldn't, but if you relaxed me, I could, because when I walked in, I went click, 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 click. I could tell you how many tiles there are on the floor of the walls. Right now I couldn't, but if Subcon I could. It's in there subconsciously. Subconscious, because James went click, 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 click when he walked in here to make sure it's safe. He didn't miss anything. But if I leave this room with a bad feeling because you and me fall out over something, it won't just be your voice or the name of your company that will trigger that anxious in me because it made me feel uncomfortable. It could be the colour of those tiles. It could be anything. Because James the car behind me. It could be the car behind me, yeah. Because James took in the whole thing and he's, he's a job's worth. He's not going to take a chance. In that meeting, beautiful people, lovely office, all going well, blue cushion. Bang, I was back there. Wow. That's how it works. That's what anxiety is. It's James protecting you because there's something in your library that caused you problems at some point. The thing to remember is whatever's in that library, chances are it was put in there before you were 12. Yeah. Do you really need to worry about something that you couldn't handle at 12 now? But some people say sort of anxiety is irrational, but there is logic in there. Completely. There is something you, you, your subconscious has noticed, which it's is... protection. It's complete protection. If we didn't have it, my God, it's our only defence. You know, and another word for it is sixth sense. And children are born, well, we all have a sixth sense, but children have an amazing one and they need it. And and, and this is where we kind of have problems when mum and dad are doing a really good job at being the swan on the lake, even though all hell's breaking loose and they don't want anyone to know they're anxious, especially the kids. Kids can smell it and, and they'll know, oh, hang on, mum and dad are behaving differently. They're anxious. Maybe their tone's changed. Maybe they'll notice the slightest thing. Remember what I said about communication? Right now, we're 7% just talking. Yes. Kids pick up on the rest of it, body language, tone, pitch. If that changes, they're very acutely aware of it because that could mean danger. They're learning about their world. So if you say, I told you, everything's fine, they'll hear that fine, and they'll go, no, that isn't right, something's wrong. And that will make them anxious, but they won't know why they're anxious, just that you're anxious and you're their protector. So then the kid starts getting anxious and they don't know why and they can't tell you why. And we're off we go. beans on toast again tonight. Yes, that sort of thing will do it, yeah. No, it's, I, I find I find anxiety interesting because I, I am Mr. Laidback. I'm Mr. Horizontal. Everyone says I'm just Mr. Calm. I look at things with a very mathematical probability. Very lucky reality tunnel in an upbringing. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And my wife is the opposite of me. So she probably had a completely different upbringing. Very different. And it sounds lovely. You almost sit there and it doesn't seem to be any trauma there. It's almost type thing. It wasn't like things happen, but 
it's maybe how she perceived things or things, events, or... But, but remember, it's not just physical. Yes, it's... It, it's It could be emotional. So it could be that someone at school said she wasn't attractive enough or that she was stupid or that she's not smart enough or... It could be anything like that. That will cause you anxiety because that's you being judged. When you're being judged, that frightens you. And you may not even be able to recall that no, probably one not. moment, but it has that effect on it's you. It's there. James has got it. James is a job worth. And that's why sometimes you need to come and see a therapist. And that's why people spend months and months and months in therapy trying to find that initial event. Well, there's very simple ways of finding that initial event by including the person that you're working with in the work you're doing as a therapist rather than sitting here and healing and fixing. And that's why we do teach as we go. That's why I say, well, look, this is what's going on. So you and me need to have a little bit through your library and find out what on earth's got up James's nose and making him kick off. And they're like, I have no memory. So I know you haven't, but James has. So if there was it, it was a memory, I wonder what it would be. And we just use clever language to edge them towards. And we really can release people that quickly. That's, that's amazing. Because um, rather than say my wife hates my driving, <laughs> but she does. But to me, I sit there and go, right, so you've got an issue with my driving. And she's, oh, you do this, you do that. So I do that. Very smooth. I'm not Probably nothing to do with your driving. It might be something to do with her... Not perception be, of you not being paying enough attention or not caring enough. And yeah. I, but I sit there, and this is a bit where I, I kind of sit there and go, look, we've been together a long time now. Coming up to 20 years, I've, I do a lot of the driving, you do some, but surely in 20 years, I haven't done, in my head, your, you should be able, you, the your, rational bit comes in and goes. It's your perception of what it is about your driving that's bothering her. It might not be your driving per se. It might be how you talk when you're driving. It might be how you get cross with other drivers when you're driving. It, it might, might not be, be nothing to do with me talk. driving. It might be the fact that she's sitting in the passenger seat. Absolutely. And she's not... Now you're on it. Yeah, it could so be anything. You sit there going, okay, I, find, I find it insulting. My driving's perfectly fine. No one else complains. And I'm literally trying to prove myself to yeah. my wife. But it's almost, it's, it, it might be nothing to do with me. And... It's, I find it fascinating the way our minds work so differently. Store everything. And if James perceives it to be a risk, he'll let you know right. best way you can. I reckon she has a Hemsworth in there somewhere. Damn protecting right. her. Good one. <laughs> <laughs> or Aquaman. Yes. Yes. There's, there's probably a team. There's a lot of Thors at the moment. Yes. A yes. Thor, Aquaman. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on. Poor old James. Sure. <laughs> so. No, I, I, anxiety, anxiety is fascinating because it is a thing. It's, and I see my daughter, one of my daughters has a bit of it. And I sit there going, just do this, is what my head's saying. But my other part of it is saying, never say that. It's, you can't say it doesn't exist. No. It's there for a reason. It's no. come from somewhere. It's their reality. It's their reality. And it is there for a reason. It's protecting them. Yeah. What from? How can I help? And that's the thing is it sits there and, and we, we've done a bit of mindfulness when she's sitting there going, well, like, and I don't do the full mindfulness. I do, I do the bit. Get, get the early resilience course and I talk you through how to do it for yourself and for the kids to find out what's bothering James. I, I, sit, I sit there and do the what's great about now. Right now, in this moment, what's great? And she'll say nothing. And I'll just pick off some really simple things just to sit there and go, life's not that bad. There are other things, no, yes. Like, but I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about this thing that's making me anxious. Will you stop it, Dad? You just don't understand me, do you? No, I don't. I'm trying. I'm really trying. I'm trying. But the other thing about anxiety, I know a lot of therapists that will go, I'll get rid of your anxiety once and for all, or, or you know, the GP will prescribe sedatives. Anxiety is there for a reason. And 
I would never want anyone to completely get rid of my anxiety because it'd be like I was blind and deaf to my environment. You would just gamble yeah, with everything. Yeah, you, you need it, but you don't need it controlling. You need it there. Almost the way I describe it is imagine sort of a really good bodyguard, you know, like one of the FBI guys. He's walking behind you in a crowd with his little microphone on and you start glasses. I've got this. She's safe. She's safe. We're good. We can keep walking. Oh, no, there's something over there. But most of the time he's just there and I know he is and I'm safe. But if he needs to alert me, he can. So I don't ever want to not have anxiety, but I want it at a manageable level. I think I think I think at times I feel anxious is is I generally not often, but it's often business decisions. Self doubt. Self doubt. There's a lot <laughs> of stuff. And it it's various changes like the removal of P level, school budgets has an impact on this and I'm literally trying to work out what do I do and decisions and Various people work at B squared and responsible for this, and you just sit there trying to work, and that's when I feel anxious. And it's, and I sit there and go, look, if I'm being anxious, I've got to make this right. I've got to give this, the, I've got to give this the devotion, this decision that it needs. There's a lovely thing to do would be to actually just take a breath. Mindfulness is good for that, and just say, okay, this is making me really anxious. What is it about what I'm doing right now that is making me feel uncomfortable? Is it that I don't trust my ability to make a decision? Is it I know I've ordered black and they wanted red? What is it? Because if you break it down, drill down, yeah. then you can work through it. But no, anxiety, odd thing, interesting thing. <laughs> and the thing is, even if I don't have anxiety, the fact my wife has it, that affects me. Of course it does, because you, you want to protect her naturally. And if she's anxious, then you're not doing the best you can and you're not the man you should be, which is your reality of what a man should be and protect his wife and keep her safe from all things. Reality tunnels again. What a great loop, isn't it? It is. It is. But one thing I have learned, I've, um, I went to um, Colin from SEM Books, yeah. who we both know. Yeah, yeah. He, um, I got a book on anxiety and I found that really interesting because you sit there and go, oh, if my wife struggles with that, I'll do that. But very simply, don't do that. Yeah. Don't, don't make, don't, you almost got to give them the opportunity to go through that yeah. and find out it's all all right. Yeah, you know, it's it's about what we've been saying all the way through. It's respecting somebody else's reality or model of the world. Just because, and the worst thing you can do is, oh, for God's sakes, it's only a mouse. Or, oh, for, don't do that. Because you, your reality, the way you were brought up, everything you've learned means that that mouse isn't a problem. But to her, it is. And then you'll just devalue it and you'll make her feel worse about herself. The thing to do is to evaluate, almost do a risk register with James, but do it with James because then you're separating it from your wife again. You're not the anxious one. It's James being a bit overzealous. So what can you and I do to just talk James down a bit? Back to what we're doing with parts with the kids in the beginning and teaching them about how to manage their emotions. James is just another one. So separate him from you. He's one of your team. If he's kicking off, there's a reason. Ask him why. Help him. Don't moan at him. That'll just make him bear cross. Cool. So, yeah, anxiety. Anxiety. And it is every animal almost has anxiety. But it's a safety mechanism. You look at an animal in the wild and, you know, you, you get the classic one of the deer out on the plains. <laughs> I think then. And, and the little ones chewing away, chomps, 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 as they do. And mum's just stood not very far away. All of a sudden, her ears go up. That's soundless. But in that instance, that young one's aware. Now, he's not aware what, because he can't see over the bush. He can't see the line that mum can see. But he senses mum's anxious. And if mum is, that means danger. So from the off. So now, if we take it back to nurture and nature and our reality tunnels, if you're anxious around a child, around a certain situation, they're going to be. 
You're their bodyguard. You're their real bodyguard. Your dad, your mum. If something scares you, they've had it because they're completely dependent on you. And the chances are that until they get to that formative years where they start to question things, if you've got a fear or a phobia or something that makes you anxious, they'll adopt it. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. If Yeah, your yeah. fears can easily be passed yeah. on. Dad, dad's spider phobias, classic. <laughs> Boys are bound to have one. Because especially, it's, and you know, that's where we come back to this nature and nurture again where, you know, I've I've just said dad three times. What's that about? Was well, because dad's supposed to be the big strong one with no fears. What a load of rubbish! But we put that on you. That's another yeah. pressure, isn't it, to make it you is. anxious? And it is. You do. I, and I say I do feel that. I don't. It is. It's when the the cat brings a mouse in. I don't feel the pressure. I just feel everyone else disappear. That's dad's job. There are there are unspoken rules about what dad's job. We call it a blue job. Uh, well, I'm I'm all into women's lib, you know, and all this sort of stuff. Unless it's Cold, wet, dirty, or heavy, and then no. Oh, please, would you mind just give me a hand? You know. See, I think I was I was brought up. <laughs> I was brought up very random side segue. You know, not generally, but my my sister worked on oil rigs. Cool. Okay. She was often the only woman on an oil rig. She moved them, positioned them, hydrographic surveyor. She Brilliant. now represents the UK Coast Guard. Phenomenal. So um, I see women as equals. My very, sister very being wise man. I see my sister and I tried to chase my sister and gave up. She was amazing. And so I, 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 when I see a woman being a bit of a damsel, I think I look at them and I look at my sister and I'm going, no, don't. And I, and I don't want my sister, my daughters to be damsels. I don't want to be, I don't want them to need rescuing. I don't, I think they know what's wrong. They can say, look, this is what's gone wrong. I need this. Great. Yeah. I think, you know, I think they have the right to turn it on and want to be rescued. That's quite a nice thing. <laughs> but there's a difference between need and want, isn't there? Yeah. And I, I think, again, the world would be a better place if we wanted things, we didn't need them. Yeah, definitely. Another great podcast. We're just going from outer space to virtual reality. I think we should have a crack at past lives next time. Oh, yes. The thing is, and, and I hope the thing that's come across is nothing needs to be the same. Where you were born is not where you're going. It doesn't need to be. You know, this is where you started. It doesn't need to be where you finished. You can write a new chapter every day. And therapy doesn't need to be complicated. And I truly believe if we explain and teach rather than preach and heal and fix, we can really change what's happening with people and, and how they manage their lives and take back control rather than be controlled. And that's what we're all about, simplifying it and handing over our skills so that parents don't need us, so they don't have to come to us for help with their kids. That's wrong. Let's show them how to do it themselves for their kids. Yes. I think a big difference to me between teaching and preaching is listening. I always think of preaching is up there, not really just you're saying something, not but teaching is you're amongst it, you're with it, and I think a big part of that is listening. Yeah, for me, teaching is engagement, it's encouraging questions, Whereas preaching is, this is the rule, thou shalt listen. And, you know, we're not robots. And I think one of my biggest fears is we're going down that route. And, you know, we need to, we're going back into. I was about to say, we, I think we came from that route with uh, children should be seen, not heard. And that's where it's always been done and stiff upper lip. That was a bit robotic. And I think we've come out of that. We're going back in it then because children aren't encouraged to ask questions. They're not encouraged to say, actually, I disagree. I think, I think what Frowned it is. upon. There's lots of pressures in life and there's various things. And uh, I've learned not to say too many things at this moment because I might offend someone uh, somewhere, <laughs> which is not my intention. But I think there's a lot of, there is a lot of pressures on all of us 
especially money. Money is a big pressure and that will make you make decisions you may not want to make. Of course it will. Lots of things will. And, and you know, no amount of therapy or good parenting is ever going to protect you from having to make decisions you don't want to make. But it's, it's not what you do. It's not any mistakes you make, decisions you make that you're not happy about. It's what you do about that. So it's okay to get stuff wrong. It's okay to, but it's what you do in response to that. That's, that's what really matters, okay? Everybody gets stuff wrong. Nobody's perfect. And please, God, we never are because that would be so boring. But it's how you react and what you do. Do you curl up in the ball? Are you terrified? Do you blame others? Or do you go, oh, that wasn't great. <laughs> Let's have another crack at that. <laughs> Let's not do that one again. Yeah. But yeah, and I, th- I think it is. I think you can make decisions which you might not be proud of, but generally you made a decision you had to. With the information you had at the time. Hindsight's wonderful, isn't it? And in another situation, you will never make that decision. But it's kind of almost sort of, I think if you've got older children, helping them see why you had to make a decision, i.e. you shouldn't be in this situation in the first place, hopefully. But if you are in this, you had to make a decision. So sometimes they might take that, that's what you always do. But no, it's within the context of this is we made that decision. But but again, and you know, and this is, if you try and explain to a seven-year-old that if she doesn't put her shoes on, then mummy's not going to get on the A14 in the morning and she could lose her job and not get one from Britex. That's mum having to justify herself to a daughter. Does she nearly need to justify herself? No. It's It has to be age appropriate, you know. And sometimes you just have to say, look, mummy and daddy made a decision to keep us all safe and happy, and I know you don't understand it right now, but when you're a bit older, I will explain it. Yeah. Do you know, and that's fine. You're allowed to do that. But if, if you're continually thinking, oh, God, I'm going to have to explain that to my child why I did that, that's a guilt thing. What's that about? There's something deeper going on there inside. Yes, yes, exactly. And and you know, that's just going to make them. What, what are they learning? Oh, daddy feels he needs to explain everything to me because he feels guilty. I'll have to explain everything to daddy because I feel Or you could be making up for your parents, parenting, or various other things you could be. Uh... Nobody's perfect, and thank God for it. No. Cool. Thank you for coming along today. <laughs> Always a pleasure. I'll need a counselling <laughs> session after this. So will I. <laughs> Sorry, coaching session after this. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for coming on today. Really, really enjoyed it. Good. Me too. Thanks for having me. So, as always, putting links in our show notes. That's going to be about Ollie and the books and the whole content and the courses, along with Alison's contact details. And you'll find the show notes on our website, www.thesendcast.com. And they're generally also on wherever you listen to that podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. I normally ask you to subscribe. Today, I'm going to ask you to leave a review. So if you use iTunes, please leave us a lovely five-star review, hopefully on iTunes or elsewhere. There's generally likes. Or if you listen to us on the website, put a comment in on the website or give it a heart, that sort of stuff. And you can do that on our website by going to www.thesendcast.com where you can also sign up to our newsletter to keep up to date. Don't forget to follow us on social media. And today I'm going to do it in a different order. So LinkedIn we'll start with, which is Sendcast. And then I'm going to do Instagram, The Sendcast, and Facebook, The Sendcast, and Twitter, at The Sendcast. Sorry for anyone who likes that in the other order. I personally do. That felt odd. And if you want to get in touch with me, let me know your thoughts, suggest topics, anything else. Please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. And as always, if you like The Sendcast, please look into the virtual Send Conference. For me, this makes so much more sense than traveling to conferences. 
the Virtual Send Conference is a conference run by us here at B Squared covering all aspects of SEND. It replaces those physical conferences you used to travel to. Access it across the internet on the day or whenever you need to. Once you buy a ticket, you always have that content. So we run the conferences twice a year in March and November. Each conference has 12 highly valuable sessions designed to help you with something you can take away and implement in your school. You can buy tickets for future or past events. The video is always available. The cost for each conference is £60 and it covers the entire school. That is not a per person cost. That is £60, which covers your entire school forever. Okay, so as a listener to the Sendcast, we're also giving you a 10% discount just by using the code Sendcast10. So no spaces. And if you're a parent, if you like the sound of that and you'd like that for parents, we also run parent talks, which is the exact same approach, but aimed at parents helping you in your in your child and getting more for your child to various aspects covered within there. So if you're interested in the Virtual Send Conference, go to www.virtualsendconference.com. And if you are interested in parent talks, www.virtualsendconference.com forward slash parent talks. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Take care, everyone. Bye.